Hey, Will, before we start the show, let's do a little ad, but an ad for us. Hang on, what? We're doing an ad for us on our own show. That makes no sense at all, Charlie. So it's a very tofop idea I'm in. Well, it's exciting news. We haven't been on a live stage uh, uh, for four years, but we're going to do that again at the Great Australian Podcast Festival in November in Melbourne. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. And here being in our own homes and not on stage. Four years. Is it four years between live appearances? This is actually, this is a big event. It is a big event. I mean, the last time we performed was at, you know, the Sydney Opera House. Are we allowed to say that now? I know there was issues around us. They didn't want us to be mention their name at all. But we during, did. The, we did. during the show we did at the Sydney Opera House, they were like, we're happy to have you here, but we're yeah. not happy for you to tell people about it. <laughs> Essentially, it was like we were having some affair with somebody where they were like, look, we're happy for you to come over and have sex but you're not allowed to tell any of your mates that we are having sex because this is bad for our reputation. We love you, but we can't have other people finding out about it. Well, our new lover, the Palais Theatre, has embraced us with open arms. So we'll be doing a show there. I think, look, at the moment they're saying it's going to be November 7th, but the I believe the schedule could be the 6th or the 7th. They're going to be waiting for the last minute to sort of schedule shows. But if you get your tickets, you'll be definitely seeing us on that weekend. Uh, John Deeks has dusted off his tuxedo. He's ready to go. And... Uh, and there's going to be lots of other great stuff that I haven't thought of yet. I mean, it's only an hour. I mean, there's only so much great stuff we can fit into an hour. By the time it's you and I and Deeksie, maybe a robot, maybe the robot, time for the robot to come back. I think John Deeks, a robot, some very special guests from uh, the podcast festival. If you look at some of the other names, where there'll be a whole bunch of brilliant guests and probably some other people that we can have on the show as well. But look... It's in November. We haven't thought about it yet. But what we're asking is for you to buy tickets to something we haven't fully thought about yet because this is TOEFL. Well, think about this. If you buy, if you sell us out, then the pressure's on. We've got to come up with a really good show. But if you take your time, then maybe we'll take our time as well. So so you're suggesting that we will uh, decide the quality of the show based (laughs) on the amount of tickets that are being sold. I like it. This ad's gone south. Go to the Great Australian Podcast Festival.com.au or Live Nation. We'll put a link in the episode description below. But now, let's get to the show. The following episode of TOFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Come on! Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Uh, in our traditional What Is Mike Wearing segment, uh, I don't know if this was a conscious decision. There's no, like, he didn't build up to anything. This is just a, a top he's thrown on. But have you noticed that he tends to colour coordinate with his background? Mm. Like, he wore the blue hoodie when he had the blue background. Now he's got, like, a terracotta, sh- uh, like, jumper on when he's against brickwork. Do you think this is, like, he's subconsciously, like, colour coding himself? I don't know if it is conscious. I'd like to think it was. That's yeah. what I would actually like to think. The podcast Mike every morning gets up, points his camera at a different part of his room and he says, what <laughs> what top can I wear that will match this part of my room? Maybe he's just showing. It's a kind of a subtle ad for how versatile this one space that he, sh- he is in. Like it can be four different environments. Look, if you need like a brick wall, I can give you that. If you need a blank wall, I can give you that. If you need a blue wall, I can give you that. This is yeah one room, but it can be 
50 different rooms, depending on your imagination. Mike is like the Willy Wonka of this podcast. What do you feel about, you know, when the pandemic started and TV shows went off air and talk shows went off air and then... You know, the hosts started bringing them back in kind of various forms, you know, either in like a blank room or they would record in their library. Were you one of those people who was like, oh, great, you know, they're still working hard to put content out? Or were you like, you know what, I can wait till you're back in front of the studio. I'm not sure I like this stripped down version of your normally professional program. Uh, Depended on what it was, I think. Like there are some shows, I mean, this is a bit different, but I'll start with this and then I'll get to the ones who are doing it at home. So there are some shows that I almost enjoy more without a studio audience. So two examples, uh, like our good friend Charlie Pickering's show, The Weekly, for whatever reason, I just think that sometimes the audience would get in the way of the jokes on that show. Right. You know, like there's a difference between playing to an audience in the room or being able to execute what you're trying to do comedically. And I think that they've been better at executing what they've done comedically without the pressure of the studio audience there in the room. And I would say the same thing for Sean McAuliffe's show, Mad as Hell. I've enjoyed them both without the audience. Um, Of the ones who went to home, Mm. John Oliver, absolutely love it. Absolutely love John Oliver doing his show from home. Like they should, while he is in there, they Mm. should be bricking up his house. Like from the outside, he's not aware of it. He's in there doing his show. Like people should be, HBO should be down there and he goes to open the front door and it's been bricked up and he's been bricked in because his show is amazing at home. But then you go to those Tonight shows, you sort of, your Colbert's. Seth Meyers. Yeah. They miss the studio audience in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I know we differ on Seth Meyers. I quite like Seth Meyers. I like a closer look. I think it's a good segment. But, I have noticed that one of my pet peeves on radio is when they will bring in offsiders into the studio to be just in the distance, to just fill the studio with a bit of laughter when a joke's going. Because to me, it's like, oh, this feels artificial. And I think that's what has become of those guys is they're now so leaning heavily into their PA standing to the side or the cue card guy or the producer or whatever. And it's getting so in-jokey now. It's like, oh, this is... This is no longer, you're so desperate to have the energy of an audience. You're trying to work off like your coworkers. And at the start, it's like, oh, you know, there's a bit of Letterman thing there where you bring in, you know, all the crew and stuff, make them personalities. But to go back to the well again and again and again, it's like, someone get this guy an audience, please. Well, I'm, I've hinted at this a few times and I still can't fully announce it because the proper announcement will come in a few weeks from now. But I'm leaving Tofop. <laughs> For those who have been listening closely over the last year or so, you might be aware that I'm working on a, a new project and we're getting you know, close to the idea of you know making and showing people this new project. And one of the things that this new project ideally would have is a studio audience. Now, we did Gruen without a studio audience last year, but that was okay because we'd done 12 years of doing it with a studio audience, you then can just go, well, this is different. Like it's COVID times. We've had to do it without the the studio audience. It changes it, but you already know what the show looks like with an audience. Mm. I am now going into a scenario, particularly with the COVID situation in Australia, where there's a real chance that we might have to debut a show that was designed to have a studio audience without a studio audience. And that is terrifying. <laughs> Because yeah. even with Seth Meyers or, you know, like Stephen Colbert, you still remember what their show looked like when it had a studio audience. And you go, yes, he's doing it at home right now, but we know 
we remember what it'll look like when he yeah goes back in front of the studio audience. Whereas for this new show, because no one's ever seen it with an audience, the idea that we might have to start it without an audience is we are now having those conversations around do you let the cameramen laugh? Do you have you know the PA in the corner of the room so that people can hear some laughter in the background? Or do you just make this show where you do it without the idea that there are people laughing? I mean, it puts tremendous pressure on your crew. Like, you know, we've both worked on shows where you've got some guys who, you know, their lifers have been in this job for 30 years. They've pretty much seen everything and it is a tall Amused order. by nothing. <laughs> Dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is like a tall order, you know. You're sort of coming out and you're doing your little ad lib or whatever, you know, and a wink to them. They're like, mate, I fucking shot Graham Kennedy. Like, you are not going to make me laugh. And so... And I, also, I mean, I've, I've been here for the three times you've rehearsed this bit today. <laughs> so even if I found it funny at 10.30 this morning, I am well over it by now. And I am... Well, look, I, I am a sympathetic laughter, a laugher. When I go to see friends' comedy shows and stuff, I, I find myself overcompensating I like to try and fill the room and, and, and encourage so I think that maybe I'd be okay in that role but then you know if you go back to the Seth Meyers Stephen Colbert thing you can detect it like when you hear that laugh that's the producer or whatever you're like mm, I know that's fake that's a fake laugh that's a forced laugh you know a genuine titter you, you can sort of get away with but it's that one guy it's the me who is like forcing that laugh and I think it, it actually deflates or derails everything I want the crew to laugh, but I want them to laugh so much like they're like the camera's swerving around. Yeah. Like the boom drops in. Like like this is really going well, this show. The crew cannot control themselves. Has the Joker released Smilex gas into the studio? Because <laughs> these crew are going bananas right now. So you think if like say let's just say, for example, you were gonna watch a new show that like is the sort of show that would normally have a studio audience and it was gonna have mm. to launch without a studio audience or with, you know, just kind of incidental laughter from a few people in the room, would you as a consumer think, do you think you'd enjoy it more if there was no laughter at all, you were just watching the show and having to make your own decisions or would you enjoy it if there was still a bit of like off-screen laughter? Uh, I'm definitely a sheep. I need some guidance about this is funny. All you need to do is watch those YouTube videos of sitcoms without the laugh track to see how desperately unfunny a lot of that stuff is like there's i think there's a youtube channel called ross geller the psychopath where they just take <laughs> david schwimmer scenes from friends and they remove the laugh track and it's it's painfully unfunny like the it's some you know lines of zingers or whatever but you generally rely on the laughter of the audience to guide you into oh yeah this is a bit and obviously he's performing in front of a live audience so he's tempering his performance or whatever to the reaction of the audience so yeah, I think I, 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 I would need the audience there. I, I, unless, I think you got to keep the two worlds separate. Keep it all no audience or there's an audience. I don't know that you can suddenly shift gears from one to the other. Like you say, with the, you know, Colbert and, and Myers thing, we know what it was. So it's a little easier to accept. But if it's a brand new show and you do the first six episodes, no audience, and then you plug an audience in, I don't know. It could be weird. What about, like, because one of the funniest things about Gruen that I always love over the years is the people who are like, oh, it'd be a good show if you didn't have that canned laughter. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous criticism because there is no canned laughter. There is a live studio audience there. There's 250 people in the room and that's what the laughter is. We don't sweeten it. We don't add anything in. Like, you know, sometimes I think there is a disconnect though. What that person is actually spotting is 
there is a disconnect between the way 200 people in a studio audience might laugh at something versus how you might sit at home on your couch and laugh at something. Like there is something about yeah. being amongst those people and all enjoying something together and seeing it filmed and the momentum and all those sort of things. That means that you're laughing in a very big way that might not be the same laughter that you're provoking in somebody who's just sitting, you know, at home on their couch, half on their phone, you know, eating dinner while they're watching the show. They're just not going to engage and laugh at every joke or everything in the same way, right? And what that the person at home has missed is like in between takes, you are getting up, you're getting up and threatening the audience, aren't you? Well, like that's true are, also, yeah. <laughs> you are going around one by one because... People don't know this, but for Gruen, the audience have to fill out like a fairly detailed questionnaire. You get details about family members, financial situation. Any children, pets, how much you love them. <laughs> we get photos of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just go through. I can see you with your list. You're like, John Clark. Let's see. You live at 48 Acre Street in North Borwin. Got, got a couple of nice puppies. You like those puppies? Well, you better fucking laugh at that joke. I'm going to do it again and you reconsider what your response was. Or the puppy gets it. We've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll never forget when I did, um, uh, when I was doing media at high school and we got to go to a live taping of Hey Hey It's Saturday. And it was actually one of the rare ones they did live. It was a, um, it was a Saturday night. They're normally taped on Thursday, I believe. You did Hey Hey, didn't you? It's a, normally a Thursday night tape. Something like that. But the way that audience, because it was Hey Hey and had been on forever, that audience was so primed before they even got into the studio. You know, they wanted to see Red Gong someone. They wanted to see Pluck a Duck do something inappropriate. You know, there was, there was not a lot of warm-up because the audience had been so coded. But I think, you know, for you guys, this is a new show. They don't know... What are, the, what are the kind of tropes of this show? Like, what am I meant to be laughing at? I mean, does that make any sense? Or No, I agree. That's yeah. absolutely what I agree. I think it's a very different thing to take a show that's had an audience to no audience versus start a show that's meant to have an audience without an audience. I think that is very different things. What about the idea of canned laughter? This is what I was going to get mm. to with the Gruen thing. Like, is it possible that I should just go for the return of canned laughter? that I should lean into the fact that people think it's canned laughter. Go to Because, I mean, there must be canned laughter somewhere at the ABC. Could you drop yeah. in canned laughter on a brand new show? I Yeah, I reckon so. But, like, what are you going to be moderate in your application? Like, are you going to sort of – is everything going to be like a barn buster? Or are you going to yeah. have, like – Final series of Seinfeld, canned laughter. <laughs> people are going to cheer when you come yeah. on stage? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, do – Apart from live shows, what if Tofop had a laugh track? I mean, what if after each gag, there was like, you know, we did like a little 15. Hang on. What have I got here? No, wrong. <laughs> there we go. That seems very appropriate. I mean, does that change? Does that change the show? I mean, if every time that, okay, now we have to like set something up and I'll, I'll, I'll try to make a joke and then you drop in the. Okay. Um, uh, hey, Will, my dog has no nose. <laughs> um, how does he smell? Well, not, we can't. He's got no nose because he had cancer. It was really horrible. <laughs> no, yeah, I, yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> Jury's out. 50-50. Hit us up. Um, okay, so here's a further question. If you were going to put in canned laughter, it does uh, create the opportunity 
to really burn someone you didn't like. So yeah. if there was somebody that you didn't like, you could invite them on your show, tweet the canned laughter for everyone. But every time they <laughs> you know, like drop a line, just like leave like a silence afterwards. And they'd be like, it was really good that he invited me on the show. I've never really thought that he liked me that much, but I got to be on his show. We taped it without their audience, but he said they're going to add in laughter later. And then just for the entire show, you do not add in any laughter for that person. I think that was an, it wasn't that an episode of the Twilight Zone. I think in the eighties when they did the revival, uh, it was about a comedian who, um, you know, he was, he was a big comedian and he was driving home from one of his big shows and he has a car accident and he wakes up and he's, he, he thinks he's in the afterlife. He doesn't know if he's in heaven or hell. And then in the afterlife, you know, they're rushing him to, he's got to get on stage because he's got to do a big show. And he gets up there and he starts doing his routine and none of the stuff that's just killed is working. In fact, it's just dead silence. And then people start calling out stuff from his personal life, like horrible things that have happened that, you know, when his father abandoned his family and stuff and all they want to hear is only the worst things that have ever happened to him. And when he starts telling those jokes, that's when the audience starts going crazy. So he's stuck in this kind of like eternal hell where he just has to keep bringing up the most painful things that have ever happened to him in order to get that crazy response. Okay. But what's the twilight zone twist? Because that's what comedy is generally in this world that we live in. Um, yeah, it's, uh, um, I mean, I think it isn't too far. I guess that's the, the appeal of the twilight zone, right? That you take something that is very close to reality and give it slight twist. But if you look at the two most successful comedy specials of the last sort of five years, Bo Burnham's Inside and Hannah Gadsby's show Nanette, they're both great examples of somebody revealing, I think, you know, them at their absolute sort of worst and most broken and people finding that completely compelling. Now, I haven't seen the Bo Burnham show, but I've been following a lot of the, whatever people have been talking online. Am I wrong in saying that it's been a very quick kind of like celebration to backlash? Because it seemed to happen within like a week where people were like, this is amazing. It's so, and then people were like, oh, hang on. Another straight white guy, you know, does some introspective piece and people think it's groundbreaking. You know, other comedians have been doing this for years. That seemed to happen real quick. Um, firstly, other comedians have been doing this for years. Go fuck yourself. Like, no one's ever done anything like this, you fucking idiots. Like, that is such an oversimplification of what is impressive about the piece. There is only one... And the he's completely mocking the idea of the white introspective guy. It's a That is a complete lack of understanding of what the piece is. It's even... I've seen some backlash to his song, White Woman's Instagram. He's like, oh, he's pretty easy to mock white women in their Instagram pages. He's... He, he pays this incredible tribute to them at the same time as he's mocking them. And then there's this bit in this song where he completely punches everyone in the face who thinks he's mocking them with this like really emotional, like anyway, it, it is fucking genius. And anyone tells you that it's not genius, people cannot like it, but it is an incredible work. And anyone who diminishes the idea that it's not a, it, but this is the world we live in now. Yeah. Like it does not matter if you, like, I mean, what is what do they call it on the internet? Milkshake duck, right? Like, the minute that somebody's a hero of the internet, like, you know, three days later, you're going to find out they're a racist or a sexist or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just in general, I think we're all at a level now where something either has to be the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. It cannot possibly be anything in between those two things. It's 100% that. And it's also... Or 0% that. Yeah. <laughs> or 0% that. But it's it's also that thing of because of, um, you know, I guess like for lack of a better term, tweet culture or whatever. I haven't seen the special. 
yet I have these opinions put in front of me based purely on random people. It's like the way news articles now are like, this is the reaction on Twitter. And it's like, who fucking gives a shit what people on Twitter think about this subject? Oh, I read an article the other day that was this like massive backlash against something and it was reported as if there'd been complaints and blah, blah, blah. And then I read the article and it was one dude. Like literally the entire article had been based on one dude complaining and trying to get other people to also complain. It was one of those people who went online and said, I don't like this thing and everybody else should get on board. But then I read the whole article and clearly no one else had got on board. I'm like, yeah, you are now writing an entire newspaper article about the fact that one person had a contrary opinion. Yeah. Well, we got some feedback a while back and I'd actually sort of made me go, oh, maybe I should examine that where someone was saying, that we are diminishing women when we refer to them as girls. Yep. You know, just conversationally, we'll yep. talk about girls doing this or girls doing that. And I was like, oh, is that like, have, have the goalposts shifted on that? Did I miss the memo on that? And so I started saying to Jem, like, do you get offended when I refer to you and the girls going out for a drink or doing something with the girls? And she was like, no, no, we refer to each other as the girls. And, I, you know, I just, it's just a colloquialism. I don't think it's, you genuinely think that we are prepubescent, you know, people incapable of handling our own lives. It's just a, it's just a bit of slang, but that kind of, with the right amplification, that kind of opinion, I mean, it threw me for a second where I was like, oh, do I have to need, do I need to check my language? Is this something that that, that we've moved on from? Well, I think that there is, uh, so I, I can see some point behind it, right? So like, you know, I think it might've been around the AFL podcast. And so right. often, you know, the women who play in the AFLW, it's not called the AFLG, it's called the AFLW. They are women who play in that game. And sometimes I think by calling them girls, the idea is you're diminishing them. These are fully grown women and you are calling them girls. The The counter argument would probably be that most of the time you call the men who play in the AFL boys, I would boys. suggest. Like, I mean, I think still you refer to them as the boys, the boys played well. And the girls' language isn't about diminishing you know, the women who are playing in the AFLW, it's about almost exactly the same language as you use in relation to the men. But yeah. if you only ever refer to women as girls and you refer to men as like men and blokes and not just, you know, I, I can see mm. the point. Like I do think it can be used to diminish. Like, and I under, yeah. and I understand the casualization of diminishing, but I think it is a tricky area in sport because so often we do because they, to us, they also are boys, you know? Yes. We're middle-aged men. Those AFLW players, 19. I would refer to a 19 on the street as a girl because, you know, they're just out of high school. So anyway, the point being, uh, I'm not, I, I wasn't, I, I thought I was going to be on the, I was going to get cancelled. I thought I was on the wrong side, but it turns out it's just a semantics issue. Yeah, but I think it has to do with intention as well. Like, yeah. are you using it? Is it a term that is being used to diminish them? Is Are you saying that they are lesser by referring to them as girls? And because it's caught up in a broader issue in society, which is that often women's roles are diminished by referring to them as girls. Like, and so I think, you know, often we go, well, it's exactly the same. I call the boys the boys and I call the girls the girls. But if you never refer to them as women and you refer to the men as men, then it becomes, okay, well, I'm diminishing them by referring to them as girls, I think. And that's why I always call them women gone wild. <laughs> when I'm watching those videos, I'm just like, you know what? I want to be respectful. These are women gone wild. Why do we always call them girls gone wild? Uh, well, something that I hope doesn't diminish our podcast, uh, Mark A. Hooper on Twitter 
um, sent us a message. I know you've seen this, uh, where he uh, put the full transcripts of 35 episodes of, of TOEFOP through a statistical text mining package and came up with some kind of interesting results. So um, I think he started around about like the late 160s. He inputted all these episodes into this computer to sort of work out what language we used most often. I thought this is interesting for us to go through. So um, the first point is that the computer could not decipher what TOEFOP was. So these okay. are some of the uh, voice-to-text uh, uh, translations a computer came up with. Everyone relax, this is TOEFA. I mean, which is, is actually how TOEFA Grace's podcast, podcast. starts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that 70s show uh, spinoff. Everyone relax, this is dope. Which well, I can I mean, that get one, behind. That one sometimes is actually quite accurate, yeah. yes. But I also think it's cool. Our show is dope, right? Do kids still say dope? Is that still cool? Does that mean, or is that bad now? <laughs> Who's this cop? Yeah. <laughs> Who's the narc saying, anyone got any dope? <laughs> Hello there, fellow teenagers. Um, okay. <laughs> Everyone relax. This is toe. I mean, I don't mind that. Like, it, it feels like that is more Shortening. like youth culture. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you listen to toe fop? No, I listen to toe. No, would you listen to the fop? Oh, that's too many syllables. The nah. fop, toe. The Listen fop to toe. is old school and daggy. I reckon toe. Uh, uh, a second vote for the everyone relax. This is tofa. TikTok. So you could TikTok and toe. TikTok toe. TikTok toe. It's the three. You want to be on TikTok. Uh, TikTok why don't people, because you know, sometimes yeah. like mime things on TikTok. So they'll get a, like a stand up comedian's routine and they'll like mime it. Have you seen that? Like, so they'll get like. I don't know, Jim Gaffigan, like his famous bit about Pop-Tarts. And then you'll have some teenager just like miming along to Jim Gaffigan's voice. Why can't we have a sub-genre of TikTok called TikTok Toe, where <laughs> TikTok Toe Fop, where people mime various bits of Toe Fop to get it out there? I think that would be good. Uh, any of our listeners, I mean, there must be, we must have some listeners who are on um, TikTok. TikTok. I don't even know what the demographic. The I know what the I feel. I know we have a fairly even female male split. Enough mm. boys and girls listening to Tofot will, uh, but I don't know what our age demographic. By the way, not just boys and girls. Like yeah. you know, various like non-binary people who identify as not boys or girls. Uh, it is a different world to where we started. <laughs> A better world, but a different. But I, world. I would be interested to know, like how many, how many, like hip young social media users we have. Oh, shout out, by the way, to the person who. I don't know why they sent me this. I just got a sent a TikTok of some TikToker. Is that what they're called? TikTokers. <laughs> TikTokers. I love. I love that you asked me as if I had further information. To Someone add. sent me this clip from a, a person on TikTok, and it is a person, uh, it's this kid, like teenager, and he's standing in front of a bowl of bananas and it's all bananas of different ripeness. Like, so there's a very unripe banana and then there's like a really rotten jet black banana. And he sort of does an any, meeny, miny, mo. Then he picks up the rotten banana, cuts off the end of it and squeezes out the fetid goo into his mouth and swallows it all down. No explanation. I've not been able to shake that image from my head for weeks it was absolutely disgusting i don't know who you are hang on so no explanation about like why it was sent to you is it because of your love of banana pancakes surely, i think right? i think that was it i think someone is like i'm gonna get this motherfucker with his love of pancakes and it's you know what it's kind of worked because I, I can't look at a banana now without seeing that tiktok teenager the tiktok teenager the ttt the triple t <laughs> sucking down that rotten banana goo See, this is what I don't understand about like, you know, TikTok culture, because it does seem to be a lot of 
what can I do that is gross or harmful that will get <laughs> yeah. me a lot of views? It used to be planking, right? It used to be, that was what it was. Like people plank and it's like, get a photo. Now it's like suck down a rotten banana. I mean, yeah, it feels like I'm glad that I don't have to compete in that world. Yeah. I'm glad that's not the era of entertainment that I've grown up in because I'm not that desperate enough to be in the entertainment industry that I'm eating a gross banana. <laughs> That's my cutoff. I'm willing to do a lot of things, but I'm not eating a gross banana. When I uh, did the Weekly Planet a couple of years ago, I made the mistake of mentioning that I have one phobia, which is, I believe it's pronounced uh, trypophobia, T-U-R-Y-P-O, which is um, an aversion to seeing holes close together or or, or round objects Mm. clustered together. And I think from a psychological point of view, it has to do with identifying rotten meat or something like that. But it's something that just unnerves me to different levels. And then the Weekly Planet audience, which is much bigger than the TOEFOP audience, then bombarded me with every trypophobic image (laughs) they could find. And there was one that was a clip from a a documentary about a frog in the Amazon. And even talking about it, I'm actually getting a bit like goosebumpy. This frog, she keeps her young in little pouches, little holes on her back. So she's like swimming along the bottom of this river and you see she's got these little kind of like like little just like uh, boils on her back with like feet and stuff sticking out of them and then occasionally the boils open up and a, and, a, and a young frog will come out of it someone sent me that and i had the closest thing to a panic attack i have ever had before like it's never happened to me before where i could not stop thinking about it i was meant to meet Gemma and a friend for dinner and when I got there, it was like I'd just been in a car accident. I was really kind of shaky and I couldn't concentrate because in my head was just this repeated image of this gross fucking frog with its holes in its back and launching its babies out. You live in an area of the world now where there's a lot more frogs around. Yeah. Is there any frogs at your house? Have you seen frogs? Do you get freaked out when you see frogs now? No, it's not frogs that freak me out. It's the holes. Uh, mm. No, I we've got lots of like critters living around here. We've got like water dragons and there was a frog in my kitchen the other day and there's a python living in the roof of my shed and we found a red belly black snake. And Terry I, Gilliam, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's saying something controversial about <laughs> the sketches they used to do. Political correctness yeah, gone mad. Yeah. Uh, and we found, that, yeah, there's red belly black snake. That wasn't fun in our garden last week. Um, but it's more the, there's a lot of flora and fauna around here because it's now winter. And so a lot of the trees are shedding their leaves and they're exposing these gross ass like textures that really make my skin crawl like there's it's it's like if you get a papaya and slice it in half that that image really I don't know what it is it just it just grosses me out I tried to do a bit of exposure therapy because I read online Mm. if you have a phobia you can sort of just slowly increase so look at some images that aren't going to freak you out and then sort of keep looking at it so I've got to a point where I feel like if you were looking at connect Four, the game connect Four, without putting the like you know little tokens in do you get freaked out by holes that size close together it's normally organic material so if it's sponges Mm. or wood or flesh or anything that's kind of like porous and uh, and organic that's when it feels gross have you ever watched dr pimple popper no i could never watch dr pimple popper i could never do it i don't understand how people can i This is why I know, like, I think about my father being a dentist and going through medical school. And it's like, well, clearly those genes were not passed on to me. He must have had a strong stomach. Looking at, like, rotten teeth and gums and shit like that, there's no way I could get through that. I mean, dentists have, like, the highest, I think, well, they used to. I don't know if it's still the case, but the highest rate of suicide, I think, of any profession. And, like, when you put it like that, when you 
the, your whole life is looking at gross into things. Like, yeah. yeah, I can understand. Well, he, my, I mean, my dad hated being a dentist. Like he never wanted to be a dentist. He just, he did it because he had a big family to support. But I remember my sister telling me, you know, she used to work there as his receptionist and she would, you know, see him, you know, in surgery with someone trying to get them to relax and open their mouth so he can do the examination or whatever it is and the person refusing and dad being like, okay, look, I'm just going to go to the office. I'll be back in a moment. And she would see him go and pick a pillow off the couch, hold it against the wall and just punch it like five or six (laughs) times and let out some aggression and then calm himself down and then go back into the surgery. Oh my God. (laughs) That is exactly what I want to imagine. Because there is an assumption, isn't there? That when you go to something like the dentist, that they like being a dentist. Yeah. Like there's a part of your mind that's like, well, this person has chosen this as their profession. I'm sure that they absolutely love dentistry. They love, you know, looking at people's mouths. Like they're happy to be here today. The idea that my dentist is walking into another room, grabbing a pillow and like punching it because he hates his job so much and he hates me and he does not want to get back in that room does not fill me with joy. Well, it's funny, isn't it? You're right. We we have this assumption that it's a higher calling in a way because it's about healing people. Someone gets into the medical profession because you know, they just want to save lives or improve lives or whatever it is. But clearly there's got to be a percentage of those people, A, who are just motivated by money or B, you know, pressure to do it. Like, you know, their parents or whatever have forced them into doing it. And so that's not the kind of person you want holding a scalpel <laughs> over you. It's actually, it? yeah, I'm like, I, I'm less reassured by, like I walk into a dentist's office and I'm just like, yeah, I know you've got a couple of qualifications on the wall, mate, but how many kids you got? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Tell me why you became a dentist. I want a little bit of the backstory to see if you have a, a desire for this or whether you are just phoning it in so you get that check at the end of the week. Well, I'd be interested to hear from the doctors in our audience or ex-doctors. Has anyone mm. entered the medical profession as a, as a doctor or, or whatever and left because you did not find it satisfying? Because I know of a few people who've got into medicine late, you know, particularly if they, you know, entered entertainment or some industry where they realized they were never going to get paid for anything. And so have decided, you know, at a late stage to get their medical degree and start practicing. But are there any doctors out there who were like, you know what, eight or nine years of study and I've been working and this is not for me. I think I'm going to try stand up. Well, I think Rob Sitch is a doctor, isn't he? Like yeah. Rob, the, the, the famous Australian comedian and director Rob Sitch is a doctor. Um, there's a few people who've been in the medical profession. I think you've gone into entertainment, but I think that what you are, there's two things, isn't it? There's the entertainer who's like, ah, shit, you know what? This is no good, but I'm willing to go to university for seven years to do something that is my passion versus the person who's gone to university for seven years to learn how to do something who then has to chuck that in to go and like, you know, be an entertainer. It is, I guess once you're a doctor, I, I, I mean, I guess you have to keep your eye in, right? Yeah. Do they have... Well, Ken, Ken like, Jeong, what, is it his from um, Hangover Movies? His, wasn't he yeah. was a doctor, right? Dr. Ken, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he is, I believe, a doc. I mean, I like the idea that... I mean, imagine if that's your second profession, your fallback profession. I mean, not like, bad. If this doesn't work out, 
I can always go back to being a doctor. Well, then there's obviously the non-medical doctors, like John Cena, who is a, a doctor of thugonomics. I mean, I guess yeah. if his movie career doesn't work out, he can just go back to pra- practicing thugonomics. Yeah, lecturing in thugonomics and, you know, obviously being a uh, trainer of people who want to have a degree in thugonom- thugonomics themselves. <laughs> uh, well, some of the other words that uh, the computer thought we were saying was, everyone relax, this is Thai. Everyone relax, this is tough. Well, I mean, that could be the computer just actually commenting on what it what it was like listening to 30-plus episodes of TOEF. Uh, everyone relax, this is type, this is TOEF, and everyone relax, this is TOF, which I'm like, ah, oh, I don't mind that. That could be another, instead of saying TOE, you listen to TOE, you listen to FOP, you listen to TOF. Are you TOF? You TOF of the town? Tof? Um, Mark mm. continues on. There's some other random facts here. Uh how often you said some things. So the most common used phrase, do you remember what it was on the show? No, I didn't. I really didn't pay much attention. I just looked to see that it was okay and then moved on. Well, appropriate you say that because the phrase, I don't know, is, <laughs> well, it's not the highest. It's the second highest phrase we used in 35 episodes. I don't know. The highest. That's good though. I think that's a really good message to get out there because we live in a world of like, over certainty. In mm. fact, I would say one of the biggest problems in the world is that people are just incredibly certain about everything they think at the moment, and that TOEFOP is a place that you come to for un- for uncertainty. Like we we are the sort of people who are happy to say, "I don't know." It's funny you should say that because I've been thinking the last few weeks that I need to be more certain. I was, I was thinking that I'm incredibly wishy-washy. I always sit on the fence on things. I always like to kind of just like, oh, well, I can see both sides. But I thought I need to be more decisive. You're saying stay where I am. No, wishy-washy is our market. <laughs> We're all over the joint. Welcome on board. We're flip-floppers. <laughs> Absolute flip-floppers. We should actually put out a range of flip-flops. That would actually be good merchandise for us is like Tofop songs because this is a podcast of flip-flops. I imagine over the years the amount of things that we've come down hard one direction and completely changed our mind on in sometimes the same episode. I mean, that <laughs> is a sl- slogan a for a T-shirt, isn't it, right? Flip-flop with Tofop. Oh, see, that's good. Uh, okay, the number one word we used was film in those 35 episodes. I was a little mm-hmm. surprised by that. Comedy came in second. I would have thought we'd talked to comedy more than we talked film. Well, in those particular 35 episodes. In though, those particular so 35 episodes, yeah. Um, uh, we used the phrase, one of those things, <laughs> 75 times. Uh, that surprised me. I don't, I, that doesn't feel like a, a common phrase I would reach for. It's just one of those things. It's one of those things no. where you're... Oh, now that I think about it, yeah, it's one of those things. Again, it's very vague. It's very non-committal, isn't it? I think one of those things is one of those things where you really just say one of those things without really acknowledging the fact that you're saying one of those things. Actually, just reading through some of these phrases, they all fall in the same category of non-commitment. So I don't know one of those things. The next one is, or something like that. (laughs) Like Fill in the blanks. We're just... We like to give people the dots, you connect them. <laughs> blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Another phrase we love using is like, you know what? <laughs> now that suggests we're, go- we're about to deliver something really decisive and conclusive. Like, you know what? But then we just get all flippy floppy with, it's just one of those things. I don't know. Please. It's something like that. <laughs> you know what? It's something like that. Those two phrases could not be more contradictory, could they? Here's a big build-up to something that is not actually decisive. 
And the last phrase we use uh, uh, most often is to be honest with you, which I think is a, a you know fairly good indication, right? We used it sort of in half the episode sampled. We said to be honest with you. Which implies, though, that there are times in this podcast that we have to be honest with each other. <laughs> we're, we're honest 50% of the time. Well, the last thing Mark identified was that our podcast is largely positive. So he ran, the, he ran a test that uh, analyzed the results of sentiment. Basically, it tries to work out whether you're using positive or negative language. So at, a rate of, at the highest rate, it was four to one that we use positive to negative language. Yeah, I think we're more positive than we're negative. We're not one of those kind of like edgelord kind of podcasts where we just come out and we hate everyone and everything. If we got more anti-PC, like I think we could fall, we could swing that back the other way. Like we, for a podcast by two middle-aged white guys, where- Boys, two middle-aged white boys. White boys, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> for the sake of equality. But yeah. I think if we wanted to kind of get more into that market of like, you know, we, we just need to lean into what our demographic is, you know, the majority of the time. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, I, I mean, we have firm opinions about some things. Point break. <laughs> the big issues. How to escape a killer drone. <laughs> we find our hills that we want to die on. That actually reminds me, someone did send a tweet. Um, they went past the Macadamia Castle mm -hmm. and they found that night. So I was confused. I thought the sign at the Macadamia Castle was just a 2D billboard, but there's actually like a giant suit of armor that yes. is like a 3D um, structure. And uh, the listener who went there took a photograph. There's actually an entrance up the anus <laughs> of the night. So you could live in there. Theoretically, if you wanted to hide out from the drones, I think that's a great place to hide. You've got the macadamia castle right there. You can bust in at night, get, make yourself some pancakes. Do you reckon if you're ever busting in the anus of the <laughs> three-dimensional macadamia night, he's like, that is only an outhole, not an inhole, mate. <laughs> uh, well, let's get to some mail. Okay. I'm trying very hard to get through this mailbag because it just keeps bloody filling up. All you people just always want to hear from us, which mm. is great. We love mail. Um, this is from Mick. And female. And, and female. also uh, <laughs> and he, boys he, and girls. Yeah, you can, you can uh, go to tofop.com to send us a message uh, or you can go to email tofop at gmail.com or female tofop at gmail.com. No, that second one's not true. I'm not setting up a separate email account. Uh, Mick, who has please pleaded with me not to use his last name. Uh, Tofop, intermittently, you two speculate as whether prisoners listen to Tofop whilst in jail. Mm. I can confirm that it's highly unlikely in Australian prisons, as generally speaking, inmates don't have access to the internet. That's what I would have thought. However, occasionally on a night shift, I've been known to listen to the pod on the computer at work as an effort to manage my fatigue. This has occurred in a segregation type unit where the prisoners in the cells closer to the office can hear the computer speakers. So I can confirm that there have been prisoners who have heard TOEFOP in jail. However, at around 2am, their reviews were not as positive as you would have hoped. Thanks for all the bots. Cruel and unnatural punishment, I believe, is how they would describe that. I mean, if they use that as a deterrent rather than the actual prison sentence, it's like, look, you go into a minimum security prison, you'll be able to exercise and get, you know, three meals a day and stuff, but you'll have to listen to TOEFOP for four hours a day. I think it would put people off crime. <laughs> I think the crime numbers would plummet. Uh, our next message is from Kyle. Who says, oh, oh, no, this is, sorry. This is, uh, this is a, another bit of uh, bot uh, correspondence we've received that I wanted to talk about because it's happening to me a lot. So this is uh, Tofop from Manscaped. 
Hi to FOP. I'm on the podcast marketing team at Manscaped. We recently launched our Lawnmower 3.0 and other products in Australia. I was hoping to connect with you for the potential of advertising your podcast. If you're interested, please follow up and send over your podcast links and socials, your demographics, and the average age and download the average number of downloads per episode. It will allow us to move forward. Now, Will, I've been targeted in my uh, on Twitter and uh, on Instagram by not this company but a number of ball shaving companies okay so i mean there are some podcasts already that have man manscaped or whatever it's called like i've i've heard some podcasts that i listen to definitely like advertising for them it's interesting isn't it when there are themes that go through podcasts because over the years it's been like do you want like a cheap mattress or do you want like some watches or some sunglasses apparently now they've identified you know what people have Hairy balls. Yeah. They really need to do something about their hairy balls. I mean, it really does make you wonder about capitalism, doesn't it? Where it's like, okay, well, one company to trim your balls makes sense. Mm. But now there seems to be so many. And in the era of bizarre YouTube ads, like if you notice that, if you just, you know, you watch a YouTube video and just leave it running and it, ro- it automatically loads into the next one, you get these strange, almost like short films, six minute ads. And the ball shaving ones, are trying so hard. Well, at first they were trying so hard not to mention balls. They'll use every other kind of metaphor. And now they don't give a shit. Now, like I'm expecting to see an ad where it's just a guy with his balls in front of the camera where he's slowly just shaving them for six minutes. I mean, you just see some hairy balls. <laughs> <laughs> like, it opens. Yeah. This is the director pitching yeah, okay. it. We open on some hairy balls. <laughs> and we slowly push in for 10 minutes. <laughs> what else happens? Nothing. Vim Vendors is in the room just going. We want to see some the testicles covered in the hair. Because then we know that they need to be shaved. Uh, Well, this is from Al. Uh, Hi, Will and Charlie. Charlie and Will. Episode 342, The Skull. Had you wondering about transporting uh, transporting body parts on planes? Mm. Turns out I've got some experience here. While not a doctor myself, I worked on the stage show version of an English kids show, Operation Ouch, with twins Dr. Chris and Zand. Have you heard of this, Dr. Ouch? (laughs) Not a great name for a kids show. Really sounds more like a court case, doesn't it? (laughs) The people versus Dr. Ouch. (laughs) I made the props and ran them during the shows. This included a demonstration with a cow's heart where we pumped coloured water through to show how valves work. Now, this show toured the country, and one cow's heart wasn't going to last, so we had about 15 to 20 frozen hearts that we had to take around with this and rig up every two to three shows. The defrost when required and the glue cable tie clear pipes... uh, Then defrost was required and glue cable ties uh, to the pipes in the appropriate holes. This meant that the rest of the crew would regularly wait for me at check-in while I tried to explain that, yes, this was a real cow's heart in my carry-on. Through my multiple trips around, I found that as long as there's no loose ice or, and you can, so using ice packs only, and you double bag everything, you can carry the delicate rigged heart on with you and the frozen hearts happily go in under the plane. After a while, they only want to see it out of curiosity and not check if it was okay to fly. Yeah, but like, that's a cow's heart. I mean, what if it was a human heart? <laughs> what if you were transport? I'm like, I guess the average check-in person isn't going to know the difference between... Would you know, I mean, how much bigger is a cow's heart than a human's heart? 
bigger, I would assume. Yeah, but you know, you could be Andre the you could be Andre the Giant's heart. <laughs> oh, but also, I guess depending on the size of the cow that they got the heart out of. Yeah. So I don't know if it was a fully grown cow's heart. It might have been like a smaller cow's heart. So, but I still think it would be substantially different. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna Google the size of human heart. How how big do you think the human heart is? Ah. Uh... Like, I don't know. I mean, by weight, I'll say by weight. I'll say that the okay. the human heart weighs its muscles, so it's going to be kind of tough. I'm going to say like a cricket ball. I'm going to say the human heart weighs 500 grams. Okay. Well, it says 7 to 15 ounces, so I don't know what that is in, in grams. Um, what size is the human heart? If you had to compare it to another body part, what would you compare it to? Um, oh. Like, is it an external or an internal body part? An external body oh, part. Oh, it's the fist. The fist, yeah. A closed fist. Uh, here we go. The human heart, yeah. You, you weren't far off, actually. We're talking about three... It says 200 here... 200 grams. 280 oh. to 340 grams. Okay, yeah. Not far off. Okay, all right. And now, what do we got? Cow's heart. How is it? What is the size of a cow's heart? And that's more important. So, what would you say? What What's your guess based on... I'm gonna, well, what? So, a cow's what? Five times the size of a human, mm. so I'm going to say, I'm going to say, a one point five kilos. Uh, compare it to a part of your body. Oh, my head. Your head. Yep, that's good. The cow's heart is about the size of your human head. How big was Philip's heart? Uh, the size of someone with a really big head's head. <laughs> <laughs> the size of Australia. <laughs> that's how big that horse's heart was. Um. Okay, this is from Mick. Hey, uh, please don't read my surname. <laughs> okay, that's good. Second person asking not to be identified. Wasn't that a second Mick? Wasn't the last one Mick who didn't want their surname read? Is it the same? It's, a it's Mick. not the same Mick, is it? No, it's a different Mick. Um, okay. Hey, to go on top, my wife is a doctor and during her studies inherited a full human skeleton by a family member which lives in our cupboard. Yes, we literally have a skeleton in our closet. I've often wondered how I'd get rid of it. So I was hoping Charlie had some ideas with his skull. We do have a house being built next door, so I'm considering putting it in their wall during construction. Yes, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> like at the very least in the concrete slab underneath for generations to find. I mean, is it better to put it Where's more suspicious, the floorboards or the or, or, or the wall or underneath the floorboards? Well, I'm just saying it's easier to hide it probably. In, like it would be, oh no, I guess when they're constructing the wall. Uh, I'm thinking more about famous serial killers. So like you had John Wayne Gacy kept, didn't he have like 14 bodies under the under the floorboards? Yeah, I think so. And wasn't that the, the British guy that um, uh, David Tennant played? Um, I can't remember what his name was, but he was the guy who, he, he was like putting them down the drain and stuff. And oh, he's like, like was he acid, the... aciding them? I think he, yeah, he was like just cutting them up at home and like, um, like leaving them in his floorboards and in his cupboards and stuff around the house. Well, I think Dennis Bish, if, you, Dennis if, you, if you're looking to frame your neighbor, putting it in the wall, because no one is hiding a body in the wall because it's going to smell, it's going to be easy to detect. Mm. But if you, it, it's it's more conceivable if you're going to hide a body, you just bury it under the house. I think when John Wayne Gacy was actually, when the police knocked on his door, like he claimed, I think he, he said there was one body down there and it was self-defense. <laughs> and then he was like, I don't know how the rest of these 
boys got here. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, wow, what a shock. I, officer, I'm as shocked as you. So I don't know if you've seen it, but Des is a three-part uh, television drama uh, about the arrest of the Scottish serial killer Dennis Nielsen, his name is. Right. Um, and they discovered him because they discovered human remains causing a blockage of the drain near his house. Ugh. And when they came around to his house, they were like, we found some human remains in the drain and he's gone, well, you better check the cupboard. There's some in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's heaps all over the joint. So he wasn't trying to evade. He was just, he was, this was his moment to kind of be like, hey. Well, eventually when he got caught, yeah, it turned out he'd killed like 16 Oh or, or more people, and he just basically told them where they all were. He's like, "All right, game's up. You, you probably should go back to my." Old. He goes, "There's like six of them in the walls here, and if you go back to my old joint, there's like twelve there." <laughs> uh, Mick continues. Upon telling my wife about Charlie's problem, it turns out there have been recent discussions on a doctor's forum about this. As it turns out, many have also got skeletons in their closets. It seems the official way is to contact the police and give it to them from there for the coroner to take for disposal. Oh, hmm. okay. I mean, I guess, do you have to go to the police first? You can't just go straight to the coroner. I mean, I guess the police just have to... They'll make a record of it, I guess. They'll say, you know, this person came in at this time and you get the, your ID and stuff like that. Yeah, because otherwise you could just be going, this is an old doctor's skeleton where it's just somebody you've like skinned and eaten around the house. And you're like, no, no, I'm a doctor. Definitely a doctor. I have to get rid of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ivan Malat just keeps... T- yeah. <laughs> Turning up. It's like there is still flesh on that skeleton. No. Oh, yeah, Lang, give me a sec. Just, just look over there. Hunting knife. Just <laughs> uh, on a darker note, many of these skeletons and parts were stolen from graves. So it's a bit sad to think some of uh, some family members think their loved one, um, in my case, 155 centimetre male, is safely underground, but is really in my closet next to the Santa wrapping paper and kids' hidden birthday presents. If nothing else, it does discourage them from snooping. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I, I remember hearing that, that um, grave robbing was big. I think it was like in the turn of the century, it was quite, there's a lot of money to be made from, you know, presenting cadavers and stuff to, to doctors and saying, oh yeah, there's my uncle, he just died. I mean, that's an industry that, you know, surely uh, uh, it, it will never come back. Could you see grave robbing coming back in a big way? Well, maybe the pandemic continues. I've got to find a way to find a buck. I mean, I would have thought just with the price of housing affordability, there's going to be millennials breaking into graves just for somewhere to sleep. <laughs> this is my house now. I live here with this guy, Skelly. He's my best mate. <laughs> uh, Sasha. Oh, you remember Sasha. He wrote in last week. Hey, guys. So I'm trying to write this email while snorting. Okay. And oh. laughing. <laughs> so hard on the side of the road. Um, episode 344 is brilliant. When you got to the Peter Russell Clark clip, I couldn't stop cracking up. Pitch me laughing so hard with tears, struggling to breathe while coughing like a crazy person so much that the person in the car alongside me probably thought I should be reported for being a COVID super spreader. It was such a great episode. Thanks for the laughs. Ironically, also read out my previous email in the same episode. So cheers for that. P.S. Will, I am the shirt swap guy from what oh. you're talking about show in Sydney in December 2019. Such a fun night. What happened that night? Uh, he was wearing an unusual shirt in the audience and I eventually convinced him to swap shirts with me so that I could wear his shirt because his shirt was a much more 
show busy shirt than the shirt that I was wearing and I thought that we had them around the wrong way so I made him put on my shirt and I put on his shirt and did the rest I did almost the entire show from memory in his shirt did you give it back at the end I believe that I did because I think I wanted my shirt back (laughs) I think that I like (laughs) technically (laughs) other than for the show I enjoyed my shirt more than his shirt are you like the magician who like during the show hands out like a rose to a kid or something at the end the assistant comes up and goes we're going to need that back (laughs) It's not huge money. I can't be buying a new shirt every time I'm doing one of these shows. Uh, Our final bit of correspondence comes in from Angela. Hello. I'm not sure if this comment is what you guys are talking about when you read your emails or if there's an email address I've missed somewhere along the way. But either way, I wanted to thank you for the hours and hours of enjoyment in the past couple of years. I got onto you guys from Will's appearance on the Dollop live eps that he was a part of. And I have listened both to the newer eps and gone back to the very beginning and starting to work my way forward, which is not the recommended dosage. Not the recommended way. Work uh, work backwards, stop when you feel uncomfortable. But sure, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do. It is funny to listen to the old episodes, knowing how your lives have turned out from listening to the recent ones. Ah, they're excited about Bane being in the Batman movie coming out, but little do they know they won't enjoy it as much as they think they will. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll, we'll go on a roller coaster with that, I think. <laughs> yeah. And ah, uh, young Charlie doesn't know in 2021 he'll have a kid of his own and a home in the country. Although I'll admit as an American, I've absolutely no concept of Australian geography. So you could be telling me you live in the middle of a volcano and I'd be like, oh yeah, sounds about right. Anyway, getting to the point of my rambling email. Do you guys not do ads? I mean, on the one hand, it's nice not to listen to ads, but on the other one, I'm fully supportive of podcasts I like making money. You guys are always joking about how the pod is losing money, and it seems like American podcasts I listen to do ads and seem to do well for themselves that way. (laughs) Will? (laughs) Why don't we do ads? Because nobody wants to advertise on this show. Like the only people who want to advertise are bull shaving operations. And we're just like, we're not that desperate to make money that we're going to talk about shaving our balls for you know, a few shiny magic beans in relation to our cow heart that we're swapping. Um, we would be very open to do ads. And there has been times over the years that we have, I mean, look, the truth of it is we'd prefer not to have to do ads for any of our shows. It'd be great if we lived in a world where our Patreon subscriptions, patreon.com slash tofop, were enough that we could just, you know, support the podcast through that. Obviously, you know, if we ever get back to the idea of doing a whole bunch of live shows, we could make some money doing it that way. We've got obviously the big show um, that we're going to be doing as part of the Australian Podcast Festival in November, which will be the the first time in four years years, that we will uh, be on stage doing a live show. So we'd love you to come out to that to support the podcast. But mostly it's because this show is A, not successful enough, (laughs) and B, just not... I mean, we're not about anything. Yeah, there's enough. no hook. I think that's the problem. Like, I think that if if it's a fitness podcast, you get fitness products coming along, or if you're like a, you know, there are specific products that suit specific shows, and we are nothing for everyone. <laughs> uh, she continues. I know about Patreon, and no, I suck. I'm not a patron yet, but I'm just saying, rustle up some ads already. <laughs> I'm easily influenced by my podcast ads uh, to an alarming degree. And I'd love to try and figure out what Aussie products I should be attempting to expensively ship to the States. You've already influenced me into watching AFL. Um, and I even watched the documentary on Amazon. And I've toyed with getting a subscription to the service that plays AFL over here. But it happens in the middle of the night for me, unfortunately. Just based on that, uh, uh, just based on that 
show and how you guys uh, go, keep going on about your teams. Anyway, enough of that. Thanks, guys, for providing so much entertainment. Ange. Well, thanks, Ange, for writing in, and thanks to everyone uh, who wrote in. Uh, as Will said, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is at patreon.com slash TOEFOP. Brand new bonus episode has gone up this week uh, where we discuss, uh, oh no, sorry, second bonus episode in, in the space of a week has gone up. We did the Shrek episode, and then we've done another mailbag episode. Um, and you can also get some more free content by going to TOEFOP.com and listen to some of our other great podcasts. Who's on philosophy this week? philosophy uh, this week. So there's a couple of brand new episodes that I want to tell you about. One is with uh, Dr. Anita Hase, who's um, uh, an Indigenous Australian who's just written a brilliant new novel, but it's NADOC, NADOC week in Australia. So we talk a lot about Indigenous Australian issues and just Anita and her life, which is fantastic. And last Friday, there was a catch-up episode with Christian O'Connell, so the uh, radio DJ, very successful radio DJ, who's been on the show before, but it is a he's written a book also, and um, there's a brand new episode with Christian to check out. And who's on? Ep- uh, you're doing Fofop this week. Who's on Fofop? Oh yeah, Dave Anthony. It's a Dofop. Dave yeah. Anthony is back uh, for a brand new uh, Dofop, so you can have a listen to that. And uh, I've recorded a couple of ones with Gareth Reynolds and Jen Kirkman coming up in uh, you know the next month or so. And two guys, one cup is going strong this year. Uh, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the less we seem to talk about the actual games, the the higher the listenership seems to be. Uh, really having fun with it this year. I honestly highly recommend if you like this show, checking out Two Guys One Cup. It's basically the same thing. But for now, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. 